Welcome to Evolve Nutrition Radio, where you learn how to ditch the diet mentality and deconstruct your health and fitness goals into habits you can do for the rest of your life. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in and I want to welcome you all to another episode of Evolve Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Alex McMahon, and this is episode 5, Finding Your Carbohydrate Sweet Spot. Ah, the ever hot topic of carbs. I guess, you know, I figure if we're going to implode this podcast and I'm going to get a ton of hate mail, I might as well do it within the first five episodes, right? Because there is really, in nutrition, no probably hotter topic than discussing carbohydrates. So some people think that carbohydrates are the absolute best macronutrient, they're essential. Um, Other people will go completely out of their way to to staunchly avoid carbohydrates as much as possible. Now there's probably very few topics that are as likely to leave an entire room divided as carbs. So especially with the rising popularity of the low carb and ketogenic diets, People have shifted dramatically away from demonizing dietary fat and cholesterol, which we're now figuring out are actually a perfectly fine and healthful part of a diet, to kind of making those exact same mistakes by demonizing carbohydrates. I have to admit that I myself was guilty of this for a while. I was an avid low-carb and ketogenic person, and that's all kind of changed for me recently though, and I know that in previous podcasts and in actually a whole other blog series on the ketogenic diet, not really writing about it disparagingly or encouraging it, but just kind of giving the facts, I alluded to the fact that my own personal stance on carbohydrates recently has changed due to some experiences that I've had. So I figured no better place than this to probably go ahead and discuss and explain to you how they kind of fit into my own nutrition plan these days. So it all kind of started last year when I got a really nasty staph infection. It was either from a grappling class that I was in when I got a pretty good scratch on my arm or um, the ICU. So my father had recently had an open heart surgery and I was spending anywhere from five to eight hours in the ICU with him per day. So MRSA is really popular in the hospitals there. So a lot of people end up with MRSA, a lot of people end up with staph infection. So I'm not quite sure whether it came from the grappling class and getting my arm kind of cut by that person's nails or whether it came from the hospital when I was in there with my dad. Either way, I ended up with a really, really aggressive staph infection that actually uh, spread to multiple spots in my body, including my face. So it pretty much covered my jaw. It was on the inside of my forearm and then also on the inside of my thigh as well. So when I went to go see the doctor, um, they, without even taking a second look, said, yes, you have a staph infection. Um, I was actually a little bit relieved to find out that it was actually a staph infection and not MRSA because that whole entire day I'd actually listened to about a two or three hour podcast about MRSA and it pretty much exactly sounded like what I had on my face and my arm. So I was freaking out a little bit. So they prescribed me a full dose of uh, oral and topical antibiotics because um, they said that it was a really aggressive form of staph. So they wanted to attack it with both the oral and the topical antibiotics. And I honestly can't remember the last time that I took antibiotics, not because I am by any means trying to like strictly avoid taking them, but I just, it had been long enough that I haven't really, I haven't had anything that's required me to take antibiotics for a really long time. If you've listened to any of the previous podcasts, you know that one of the biggest things that got me into nutrition, that got me to change my own way of thinking about it, was the fact that uh, I've had lifelong digestive issues. And when I started to take these antibiotics, uh, that one of the big downsides was that my my digestion became an absolute mess. Uh, sometimes when I ate, it kind of felt like 
there was like a cement mixer being spun around in my stomach. It was really painful. Um, it, you know, I dealt with a lot of constipation, a lot of diarrhea when this was all happening, when I was taking these uh, antibiotics. And it just really threw my entire digestive system for a loop. It's really difficult for me to describe, but I was completely cognitively off. My ability to concentrate, my ability to stay focused on a task, to write, to do anything like that was just not there. And then also on top of that, my energy was totally in the dumps. So it was almost like uh, before I had changed my nutrition, that was one of the other big things was I used to deal with pretty significant blood sugar swings. And then also I was very reliant on caffeine to be able to make it through the day. And that's kind of how I was feeling again now that I had taken these antibiotics. So I pretty much, I couldn't concentrate, my digestion was a mess, and then my energy was really, really low pretty much throughout the entire day. So after the antibiotics finished up and I finished taking a full round of them, I knew that to kind of repopulate my gut that I was gonna need to consume a large amount of fermented foods. So because antibiotics don't really target good or bad bacteria, and a staph infection is a form of bacteria, um, I had a lot of symptoms of what's called die off and that's when all the bacteria in your digestive system die and then your body kind of shuttles them out through the, through. Um, I, I pretty much threw back any and all forms of fermented foods that I could consume. I took, uh, you know, I took sauerkraut, I had kefir, I had cottage cheese, kombucha, all that kind of stuff. And then on top of that, I took any probiotic supplements I could get my hands on. So I, I did this pretty religiously for a few weeks and my digestion was still a total wreck. Um, and my energy was in the dumps as well. I just couldn't get those things to improve by any means. And the weird part was that, you know, during all this, I had pretty much eaten the same way that I had forever. You know, it was kind of like a lowish carb paleo diet with some occasional oats and rice to kind of supplement my strength training and jujitsu classes and stuff like that. And sleep was also the exact same. Um, my stress levels were roughly about the same too, with the exception of kind of what was going on with my dad. But every, everything in my life had remained the exact same, but somehow I had managed to gain like 12 pounds during this process. And it was mostly around my midsection, which I was not okay with. You call me vain if you'd like, but uh, I just wasn't, wasn't okay with carrying around that much fluff in my midsection. So for the next few months, um, my, it was almost like my fat loss and my digestion were on teeter-totter. So once I'd figured out, I was like, whoa, you know, this is the heaviest that I'd been in the past like three to five years. I wanted to get that weight off. Now, as I started to try to do that, uh, what was effective for my weight loss wasn't always effective for my digestion. So I continued to kind of try to do the low-carb and ketogenic thing. And while I would be able to lose a little bit of weight, my digestive system would get much worse. And so if one would get better, the other would get worse. And I was, I, I was kind of throwing my hands up in the air because I, I wanted them both to get better. Like I didn't want to, you know, lose weight, but, you know, have my digestive system a total wreck. So I thought back to when I was able to get probably my leanest and also um, when digestively I felt the best. And that was a few years ago when I did a Whole30, but I made sure to emphasize starches and a good source of starches every single night at dinner. So I started to replicate that. Um, at nighttime, I started to have some potatoes, sweet potatoes, squash, or oatmeal, and I gave it a trial for a few weeks to see how I felt. Um, steadily, my digestive system started to feel a little bit better. Uh, my weight actually started to come down. I started to feel a significant improvement in my workouts at the gym, and so I thought, hmm, well, this is kind of interesting. You know, like 
I, I for a long time had been kind of afraid of carbohydrates, as silly as that sounds, because low carb was so effective at helping me lose fat in the past that I thought that that was the one approach that was going to work for me. I didn't think that, you know, putting more carbs in my diet was going to really help with anything. And so seeing that I was able to start achieving some fat loss and that my digestive system was feeling much better with those carbs in, I started to kind of think, well, I wonder, I wonder how far I can push this and I wonder how well I can get this to work. Well, I did have my kind of starches at night. I still kept my lunch is a little bit more low carb and would, you know, have some fruit on the days that I trained or things like that. But the majority of my carbs were always at dinner. So for the next few days, the next thing for me was I started to track. So I tracked my total calories, I tracked my uh, protein, my fat, and my carbs to kind of see where I fell on this and to see how I could tweak the dials and the knobs to continue making progress. So to continue doing that, I knew that if my carbohydrate consumption was going to have to go up, that my fats were going to have to come down. So I'm not by any means eating a low-fat diet right now, uh, but I know that if carbs are going to go up, fats have to go down to maintain fat loss and to also kind of keep within the caloric level of uh, what I'd set out for myself. So right around you know 2,000 to 2,500. I'm, I'm not crazy about it. I don't track every day or anything like that, but that was just kind of the level that it naturally fell into. And then by pushing carbs a little bit higher, uh, calories went up a little bit as well. Uh, how it kind of looks for me now is I, I've been eating a lot more fruit throughout the days. So as I get hungry, if I'm snacking, I will typically have a source of fruit with a source of protein. It could be like ham or turkey or something like that. Every meal that I eat essentially has a ton of veggies. And volume-wise, I'm probably eating significantly more volume uh, of foods than I have in a really long time. I, I feel way better. I feel like I just have a lot more food in me all the time. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. Lo and behold, I have lost uh, all 12 pounds that I gained after my round of antibiotics, and I'm actually significantly leaner than I've ever been in my life. So that was the most interesting thing for me, and the biggest thing that was kind of um, helped me to change my own stance is uh, I've gotten significantly leaner, and my digestive system is the best that it's felt in a really, really long time. So that has all happened while consuming more carbohydrates and uh, being conscientious of the fat that I was taking in. So as carbs go up, fats go down, just kind of the way it goes. I'm not by any means doing like a low fat diet, but I'm conscientious about my fat intake. So that means I may opt for a leaner cut of meat sometimes. It may mean that instead of doing, um, you know, three tablespoons of olive oil in a salad, I'll do like one or two or something like that. So I'm just a little bit more mindful of my intake of it. So um, what this kind of looks like for me nowadays is, um, I'll still do a periodic low-carb day from time to time. So if I'm not training, if I'm not doing any weight training in the morning, if I'm not doing any jiu-jitsu or any Thai boxing, um, I'll do a low-carb day just because I like the way it feels and it will help with fat loss for me. But on the days where I am doing any kind of weight training or jiu-jitsu or Thai boxing, um, in the morning, I'll typically wake up and I have 20 to 24 ounces of water very first thing as I kind of relax uh, I'll usually have a cup of coffee with either, you know, coconut milk or coconut cream or some half and half in it. And I will take that with me as I go to the gym. So I don't like to work out on a full stomach. It just doesn't feel good for me. Um, I also like to give my digestive system a little bit break. That's just me personally. That's how I feel. Um, I've gotten kind of used to intermittent fasting in the morning and it just feels good for me digestively. After my workouts in the morning, I'll typically uh, walk to my office and there I'll have some branch chain amino acids that I'll drink for a bit. And then whenever I get hungry, I will have my lunch. So usually that's right around 11.30, 12.30 some days. 
but really it's just when I get hungry. So I'm not super dogmatic about it. I don't worry too much about it, but it's, it's just when I get hungry, I eat. And so what it'll look like is typically, you know, like probably one to two cups of vegetables. So that could be uh, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, carrots, zucchini, maybe some greens. And I'll usually have like a, a potato or a sweet potato and a, a good whack of protein always to be able to uh, get those amino acids in. So that could be like rotisserie chicken, steak, ground beef, turkey, maybe some hard-boiled eggs or something like that. So like I'd spoken about, my snacks throughout the day are usually a fruit. So it's something like blueberries or strawberries, maybe plantain chips if it's a day that I kind of hit it hard. Um, and then always a source of protein to go with that. So like ham or turkey or something like that, easy to go. My, uh, my dinner is always my largest meal of the day. And again, it could be something like oatmeal with some fruit added to it. And then like a chicken breast on the side. Uh, if I'm in a rush, I'll typically just throw a scoop of protein powder inside the oatmeal if I have to like come back to my office to wrap up some work afterwards um, and I just need things to be quicker, I'll typically just toss a scoop of protein powder in there, mix it up, and then eat it that way. Um, if that isn't the case, though, on other days, it's usually a pretty good dose of veggies, uh, so it could be anywhere from like one to three cups of veggies, uh, usually about a sweet potato or two, uh, maybe a regular potato. And then uh, a pretty good whack of protein because, you know, nighttime is where I do get to really sit down, relax, and enjoy my meal. That's where I like to have the, the biggest amount of uh, my carbs and overall protein, overall calories. The largest meal for me is always at nighttime. However, I'm, I'm sure you're probably really tired of listening to me talk about how I eat and would like to actually listen to, you know, some talk about carbs and how they can efficiently fit into your own nutrition plan. So I want to start off by clearing up a few things that, you know, carbs aren't bad and they actually serve a number of purposes inside the body. So some of those purposes are going to include things like your basic immune function. Uh, they, they are a fast acting source of fuel for your muscles and also for your brain and your nervous system. Uh, your, your brain and your nervous system can actually use ketones, which are a byproduct of fat metabolism. But they can also, your, your brain and your nervous system can also use glucose as well. Um, it's really, carbs can be really helpful for sleep. So for a lot of people who go on a really low carb or, or ketogenic diet, they'll notice that they will have some sleep problems. Carbs are really effective at helping people to gain muscle, um, gain muscle mass or any kind of weight. So when anybody really ups their carbs and downs their uh, fats, they put themselves in a caloric surplus and a majority of those are coming from carbs. The person can pretty effectively gain weight. Um, they're, they're also super effective and uh, essential. You need glucose, which is one of the main sugars that you get from uh, denser sources of carbohydrates, to be able to convert the inactive T4 thyroid hormone into the active T3 thyroid hormone, which is going to keep your metabolism boosted. Uh, carbohydrates also work with the hormone leptin incorporating at least one to two days where you are going a little bit higher with the carbohydrates, your leptin levels actually stay boosted. And with them staying boosted, it's going to keep your metabolic rate kind of humming along at a higher rate. So you have leptin and the thyroid that both react to denser sources of carbs that are going to kind of keep your metabolic rate a lot higher. So carbohydrates are also going to be really effective for somebody who is looking um, at their fertility or someone who's pregnant. Also, someone who is trying to kind of repopulate their gut and to feed the, the good bacteria in their gut with the fiber from denser sources of carbs, that's going to be really effective to kind of have a little bit more carbs in their diet. Um, also, for someone who's looking to treat constipation, so there have been a lot of people who have dealt with really severe constipation who have been on a low-carb or ketogenic diet, they start incorporating more denser carbs, and suddenly it starts to improve for them. 
Also, um, they can be really helpful to actually prevent cravings before they start. So for a lot of people, um, when they really restrict one macronutrient for a really long period of time, they'll find themselves having pretty strong cravings for uh, like sweet foods or for uh, you know really carb-dense foods and things like that. So by periodically just including them in your diet or having them every day and fitting them fit into your nutrition plan in a smart manner, you can actually kind of short-circuit that and make sure that you don't end up with those really strong carb cravings. So when it comes to kind of thinking about how carbs should fit into your diet, the very first thing that you want to look at is your personal context. Um, and what I mean by this is kind of your metabolic condition, um, your daily activity or your kind of training program that you're in, um, whether you have performance-based goals, physique goals, or whether you have any kind of like health or fitness goals. Those are all big things that are going to play a pretty significant role in determining what the right carb intake is going to be for you. But the, the problem is that kind of in modern nutrition, too many people are pitching like the magic bullet and context really gets lost. People are really lumped into one nutrition group and everybody's kind of ready to go to war for their specific diet dogma. Um, they think that, you know, because they've attached themselves to one way of eating or one way of thinking about a food that they can't evolve their stance. So people get kind of trapped in this catch 22 where they may not necessarily 100% feel a certain way about a diet anymore. But because it's what they've pushed for so long, they kind of have to stay attached to it. So whether your carbon intake is going to be high or low, I do think that there are some principles that apply for those who are seeking either health or fat loss. And one of the biggest ones is to always choose real whole unprocessed foods over processed foods and to really look at the nutrient density of the foods you're consuming and letting that kind of be the guiding light. So um, we're going to be discussing nutrient density in a lot greater depth a little bit later in the podcast, but just kind of using that as your guiding light, just real hold on processed foods are always going to be a step in the right direction. If someone's really overweight or somebody's obese and they're sedentary and have a desk job, their needs and that person's context are going to be the complete opposite of somebody who is, you know, a 185 pound guy who's really active and he's really, uh, you know, carb tolerant and he has some kind of like physique or athletic performance goals. So the sedentary guy who's obese, his carb tolerance is going to be much lower and he's going to actually require fewer of them than the guy who has like physique goals and who can tolerate them really well. They just have a different context. And those contexts are going to be totally different from a woman who's looking to like get in shape to fit into a bikini for a vacation or one who's trying to do like a 10K race, especially because women do have a little bit more sensitive hormonal systems. Um, sometimes going on low-carb or ketogenic diets don't work for them. It can actually kind of mess with their thyroid a little bit. So you want to make sure that you are aware of that and that you aren't kind of screwing with that too much. So I do believe, however, that low-carb diets are really effective um, for certain people. So for people who are very, very overweight and for people who are obese, low-carb diets can be really effective. People want to argue about whether the low-carb diet can be effective because of because of the higher protein intake or whether it's the fat metabolism. But you know, for the right group of people, a low carb diet just plain works. You know, um, And for a period of time, a low carb diet worked for me really well. It was really effective, but things changed, uh, especially after I got that staph infection and especially after I really needed to try to achieve both fat loss and an improvement in my digestion. Um, the low carb thing really didn't work for me anymore. Another important point is that as someone loses fat and as if, if someone's obese and loses a significant amount of fat, um, they'll be able to regain that metabolic flexibility. So their carbohydrate tolerance will actually be increased. 
and that will allow them if at one point in time, if they had to restrict carbs, and now they've kind of regained some of that metabolic flexibility, they'll have the capacity to more efficiently use those carbs without having them spill over into fat stores because of um, the hormonal changes that have happened by being able to lose that body fat. So if you are really overweight or if you by chance um, obese um, and are looking to lose fat, I would actually totally recommend a low-carb diet for that person for a period of time. Um, I've just seen it be really effective for that group of people. And for um, if, if you're wondering like how many grams of carbs and what range that would look like and things like that, I'll be discussing um, a, a full spectrum of kind of the different ranges of carbs that I toss things into. So that's going to be at the at, at kind of the end of the podcast. So make sure to listen through for that at the very end. Now, for someone who is a little bit leaner but still has some fat to lose, they're going to have a little bit more wiggle room because compared to other people, um, they are just going to be a little bit metabolically different. Carbohydrate intake could be a little bit higher because they have more metabolic flexibility. Their, their body's ability to both use carbs and fats is going to be better than the person who is obese or the person who is very overweight. So on the total opposite side of, of either one of these is going to be the people who I would recommend not using a low-carb diet with pretty much ever. That's going to be someone who's an athlete who makes their money off of being able to perform athletically. Um, especially glycolytic athletes, so people who are like CrossFitters, MMA athletes, sprinters, uh, football players, basic stuff like that. Anybody who's pregnant, um, anybody who suffers from adrenal fatigue, and then also uh, people who suffer from constipation should not be doing a low-carb diet, in my opinion. Now, uh, for an athlete who requires quick bursts of activity with shorter rest periods, like I was mentioning, um, you know, CrossFit, kettlebell athlete or any kind of combat sport athlete like someone who does uh, MMA, kickboxing, or jiu-jitsu, they're actually going to need a lot larger volume of carbohydrates to be able to fuel their activity and to be able to recover so that they can do it again tomorrow. So another important aspect is the quality of carbohydrates that people consume and kind of how you react to them. There was a really interesting study, um, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes, that tracked the blood sugar responses of subjects in response to the exact same amount of calories of cookies and bananas. Now, from the outside, you'd probably look at this study and think that the results were going to be somewhat typical and predictable. However, it, it totally blew me away, and it totally blew everybody away when the results came out. So for some people, when they consumed a cookie, it spiked their blood sugar, but the banana had virtually no effect on their blood sugar. There were other people who had the exact opposite effect where a cookie had zero effect on their blood sugar, well, their banana caused a significant spike in their blood sugar, which was kind of interesting as well. It just kind of goes to show that, you know, we're, we're all total bio-individuals, and it's completely fascinating. Um, but my goal in, in this podcast is to really give a recommendation that I feel like will be the best bet to benefit the most people. And when it comes to recommending a specific kind of carbohydrates, um, I always have people opt for the more natural sources. So what exactly do I mean when I say the more natural sources? Uh, in, in plain English, um, the ones that come from nature that have been minimally altered, that have really you know very little processing. These are going to be things such as potatoes, sweet potatoes, squash, taro root, yucca, corn, uh, cassava, plantains, yams, fruit. And for people who tolerate them, uh, things like oats and rice and beans can also be acceptable. Um, you know, for white rice, most people who are like really hard-charging athletes benefit from it because it is just a pure form of glucose that can actually really help them. So the processed carbohydrates, 
that I think people should do their best to avoid would be things like bread, pasta, chips, pastries, most grains, crackers, fruit juice, uh, soda, breakfast cereals, granola bars, baked goods, um, added sugars, obviously pastries, health bars, and gluten-free products. Yes, gluten-free products. So let's have a little uh, let's have a little discussion here about gluten-free products and why I'm saying that you probably shouldn't be having them. So one of the things is that I do believe that gluten-free products can be a pretty good transitionary step for people who do have a sensitivity to gluten. So by removing that inflammatory protein molecule, those people will experience a healing of the gut, they'll feel better, they'll probably have less achy joints, basic things like that. So I do agree that getting that out of the diet is absolutely pivotal. However, I think that that should be a transitionary step to getting towards more whole foods. And the thing is, if your goal is health, if your goal is fat loss, you can't expect to be doing something like eating a, a gluten-free muffin or a gluten-free cookie and expecting different results than you're currently getting. So a cookie's still a cookie, a muffin's still a muffin. Whether it has gluten in it or not, it's still gonna pose the exact same problems to your health and fat loss goals that a regular gluten-containing one would. And I, you know, it's, it's really funny. The people who do Whole30, they call it sex with your pants on. So if you're taking something and you're using a crappy old habit, but you're trying to shove it in a shiny new box and give it a new name, then you know you're gonna you can't be angry with the results you didn't get for actually not changing your habits for just kind of making it fit within the rules. And it's kind of the what can I get away with mentality that really prevents a lot of people from making long-term progress in their diet. One of the biggest reasons that I don't recommend the consumption of these processed carbohydrates is due to the nutrient density. With regards to vitamins, minerals, fibers, and enzymes. Um, they're all involved kind of in the metabolism and the regulation of blood sugar when it comes down to carbohydrates. Um, these processed carbs are also going to be mostly devoid of these vitamins, minerals, and enzymes that all help to regulate our blood sugar. So what happens is that when a food is processed, it's actually processed to help reduce uh, the spoiling potential of it. And processing removes a lot of both the macro and the micronutrients that would otherwise contribute to that food going bad a little bit quicker. But however, the FDA requires nutrients to be replaced in foods when they're removed to a certain degree. So that's the whole reason that we have enriched or fortified foods. Um, and the amounts that are put back in these foods after they've been removed are number one, insufficient. They're really put, the, the levels that are put back into foods are meant to prevent disease. They're not meant to make people optimally healthy. So there's that aspect. And then number two, the kind of foods or the kind of vitamins and minerals that are put back in these foods aren't as bioavailable as they would be if we had just eaten them from food. So the very first reason that I'd recommend trying to avoid these processed carbs is because of nutrient density. Next up would be excess added sugar. And when I say this, I'm not talking about something like cookies or ice cream that we all know contains sugar and has a minute. I'm talking about things like bagels, uh, loaves of bread, anything like that. I guarantee if you go to your grocery store the next time, you flip it over and you look at the ingredients of the you know denser processed carbs that you'd be otherwise buying, you're gonna find a you're gonna find a source of sugar in there, and you're gonna find extra grams of sugar in there that shouldn't rightfully be in that food. So that's another reason. Another thing is. At the end of the day, when it comes down to someone who's looking to lose fat, which I think most people probably are, calories are a consideration that needs to be taken into account. 
And people can be physically full from the food they're eating, but still be nutritionally starving and not providing their body the nutrients that it needs to operate like a high performance vehicle. So you can't expect something like a Ferrari to run on typical regular gas and you shouldn't be treating your body the same way. So if you're giving your body these empty calories from these processed carbohydrates, it's just mostly like it's running on fumes. Another big thing is the regulation of appetite. So we have a natural craving for sweets and for carbohydrate dense foods because they taste good and they make us feel good too. But when hormones come into play, we can start to have some significant problems related to the consumption of these processed carbs. First and foremost are the hormones leptin and insulin. So you've heard me talk about leptin in other podcasts, so I'll keep it kind of short here. Um, leptin is our satiety hormone that the body uses to gauge fat stores, and it helps to signal satiety to the brain as well. So when someone has really high levels of insulin due to the consumption of processed carbohydrates, the signal from leptin is actually blocked in the brain. So this means that the hunger that should be turned off by the satiety the person's getting from the food actually never happens. So this is actually going to lead somebody to overeat because that satiety signal never reaches the brain because leptin is blocked by insulin. Now, as someone gains more body fat because they eat more, this creates a real catch-22 because the body, as the body gains more body fat, more leptin is released. Over time, the brain can actually become resistant to leptin to the point where it no longer gets that signal and the body thinks or the brain thinks that we have inadequate fat stores. The number one way to bring up those quote unquote inadequate fat stores even though you have plenty of fat on your body is to increase the appetite significantly so the person eats more. So this actually makes this catch 22 where the person isn't getting the satiety signal because they have body fat on their body and then their brain becomes leptin resistant. The next thing to talk about is dopamine. So when we consume these processed carbohydrates, it triggers the release of that feel-good neurotransmitter uh, dopamine. So over time, just like any other hormone, if you have an overproduction of it, if you have too much of a hormone flooding your body, you can actually become resistant to it so that you actually need a larger amount of that hormone to be able to elicit the same response that you once were able to do. And dopamine is really no different. So to prevent your brain from becoming flooded with dopamine, your, the receptors will actually be pulled in and your brain will become dopamine resistant. So what that means is to get the same feeling from those foods that the person's eating, they'll actually have to eat a much larger volume to be able to achieve that same feeling. Next up is blood sugar. So when we consume a processed carbohydrate and it causes a rapid spike in blood sugar, it's always going to be accompanied with a rapid um, crash as well. So typically, these crashes will actually trigger a stress response in the body, and it will signal to the brain that we need a significant source of energy right now to be able to prop blood sugar levels back up to a stable range. Unfortunately, your body recognizes that these denser sources of carbs are a pretty good, significant, dense source of energy. So the very thing that caused the blood sugar crash will be the very thing that you will probably reach for when your brain is looking for a dense source of energy. So those are the reasons that I'd have people opt to avoid the processed sources of carbs. So let's discuss some carbohydrate ranges and where you might fall on these. So the very first one, zero to 50 grams a day. This is going to be ketosis or increased fat loss. This is going to be effective for those people who are looking to make a significant shift in their metabolism or achieve some aggressive fat loss. Um, you, you're going to have to have adequate protein and fat to be able to do this in the right way. 
So this is absolutely not recommended for anybody who's doing any kind of uh, weightlifting, for anybody who's doing any kind of metabolic conditioning or anything like that. Um, I actually believe that a ketogenic diet can be helpful, but I think its most effective use is to be used in a cyclical fashion where somebody will have days where they're keto, but then other days where they go higher with starches and keeps fat lower. One of the reasons that I think this is not the best approach for most people is because it does restrict some, some nutrient-dense vegetables and some fruits when you're in ketosis for a long time. The next bracket up from that is going to be 50 to 100 grams of carbs a day. And this is what I would consider kind of low-carb, uh, painless fat loss for some people. So this does increase the fat metabolism and it does allow some easy, sustainable fat loss for people. Uh, however, I would honestly shove most people a little bit closer to the 75 to 100 grams of carbs a day instead of trying to achieve the 50 grams. Um, this is an appropriate category for people who are sedentary or for people who aren't very active on a daily basis. So for anybody who's doing some really light weightlifting or uh, shorter cardiovascular efforts like going to the gym for 30 minutes or something like that, um, this would be an appropriate category for these kind of people. This is going to be right around where I would recommend that some people start looking at and not quite a sweet spot yet. So next what I'd be looking at is the 100 to 150 grams. So this would be what I consider moderate intake uh, kind of maintenance for a lot of people. So for people who are moderately active and have like an active lifestyle or a job where they're engaging in a lot of movement throughout the day or any kind of cardiovascular exercise, you know, like a 60 minute jog, this would be a pretty good range for those people. Uh, for, for people who are looking to burn a moderate amount of fat and build muscle, this could be a healthy carb intake for those people and a pretty decent sweet spot for most folks. Next up is 150 to 200 grams of carbs a day, and that would be what I consider medium carb intake. So for people who have an active lifestyle and they tolerate carbs well, this could be a good place. So they aren't necessarily pushing the type of numbers that like a highly glycolytic athlete would, like someone who's doing CrossFit or MMA or anything like that, but they are they are consuming some carbs at each meal if they're getting this amount per day. They're getting enough carbs to kind of support their activity and they're also able to trigger some muscle growth. People who are hitting the gym like three to four times a week and doing some conditioning sessions along with maybe some activity-based hobbies like kickboxing or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or mountaineering will actually do really well in this category. And this is actually where I do my very best is right in this 100, 150 to 200 grams of carbs a day intake. So next up would be two to 300 grams of carbs, and this would be what I consider high carb intake. So this would be an option for people who have an extremely active lifestyle or job, uh, people who have a very highly intense active activity level. So this could be CrossFit, MMA, physique competitors, um, maybe some endurance athletes, or people who train multiple times through day, uh, multiple times throughout the day and require more carbs to fuel their activity and be able to recover adequately. So the very last category, which is probably going to be the one the fewest people fit into, is going to be uh, 300 plus grams of carbs a day, and this would be what I cons would consider higher carb intake. So this is going to be an appropriate level for most high-level athletes who compete for a living or who have like multiple training sessions throughout the day and need to be able to recover and to have enough fuel in the gas tank for the next training session. So many of the same modalities are going to apply. So these are going to be people who are CrossFitters, people who are MMA athletes or physique competitors, or maybe some endurance athletes. However, if you're just doing CrossFit twice a week and doing a few shorter five to 10 minute, um, you know, like metabolic conditioning sessions, you probably won't require this amount of carbs.
What I'm really trying to get across with this podcast is that carbs are absolutely not evil. They can be a very um, a very healthy part of a lot of people's nutrition plans. So don't be afraid of them. That's I mean that's the basic mistake that I made for a really long time was I was very staunchly kind of like afraid and pushed everything low carb. And I tried to use a low carb approach past when it was the most effective for me. So just constantly keep an open mind, don't be dogmatic, and be totally open-minded to the fact that you may need to experiment. So you're gonna have to kind of see what sources of carbohydrates work best for you and which ones make you feel bad. So if you notice that something leaves you feeling kind of bloated, if it gives you with more digestive issues, if you end up with like mental fog or significant energy crashes, that's likely a source that you're gonna wanna try to avoid. It's not working for you. You'll also need to experiment and to kind of tinker and see what level of carb intake suits you and what will allow you to get closer to your goals. So my goal was to lose fat and to be able to improve my digestive system. And the carb intake that I ended up with, right around 150 to 200 grams a day, um, <clears throat> has currently been allowing me to do that and to continue to make progress on both of those home fronts. So um, it took me a while to get up there and to get to where I'm at now, uh, just because I slowly went up with the amount of carbs that I was taking in each day. But be patient with the process. It'll totally be worth it. So as always, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to Evolve Nutrition Radio. You can find me on Instagram at Evolve Nutritional Therapy. You can find me on Snapchat and Twitter at Evolve NTPDX. You can find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Evolve Nutritional Therapy LLC. Or you can email me at Evolve NT period PDX at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.